Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, November 28th, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron for a new church year. The, the series is called The Hymns of Advent, and we will be taking a look at a variety of Advent hymns that are all found in Lutheran Service Book. The season of Advent helps us to prepare for Christ's coming, and the hymns of Advent will teach us that this is more than getting ready for Christmas. The word of the Lord that we sing in these Advent hymns will help us to receive Christ, not only as we prepare to celebrate his coming at Christmas, but also as he comes to us now in the means of grace and when he comes again in glory on the last day. The first hymn that we will be studying in this series, the hymn for our blessing today, is number 332 in the Lutheran service book, Savior of the Nations Come. It was written by Ambrose of Milan. 1700 years ago to help us sharpen our faith in christ as we study god's word today we have with us returning guest pastor james yonkers pastor yonkers serves at emmanuel lutheran church in danville illinois pastor yonkers welcome back to sharper iron thank you very much happy advent pastor yonkers uh, happy Advent to you as well. Savior of the Nations comes to create him. I'm looking forward to talking about it. For sure, for sure. Let's get started by talking a little bit about the season of Advent in the church here, in the life of the Christian. I, I wrote a newsletter article for my congregation here in Godfrey, and I, I started off by saying Happy New Year, which is a little strange, perhaps, that we're still in November and we're talking about Happy New Year. Tell us a little bit about the season of Advent and how it works in the church year and, and its importance for the life of an individual Christian. Well, my favorite story about Advent is when I was on Vicarage as a CP resident, and one of the other residents who already had his MDiv and had been serving for years looks at me and goes, what's Advent? Ad Advent's a time where we look forward to the coming of Christ, both at Christmas, which is the obvious thing we think of, but also a second coming where he comes to be our judge as we sing in the Te Deum and he, where he would separate the living, the those who put their trust in him from those who have not. Those in the Athanasian Creed, as I said yesterday in my sermon at, in my parish, those who put their faith in Jesus to everlasting life. And unfortunately, those who do not put their faith in Christ uh, to, to their condemnation. So the season of Advent is more than pre-Christmas. It certainly prepares us to celebrate Christmas and the joy that we have because the Son of God has become a human being. He has joined us in our humanity to bear our sin and be our Savior. But we're also looking forward to that final coming of Christ. And so there is a, a repentance that is needed, not just to, to have a good celebration on December 25th, but repentance that is needed to prepare our hearts to receive Christ in faith when he comes again on the last day. And one of the things I love about 
the Advent hymns that we'll get to look at during this series is that you see how so many authors of these hymns weave those two things together, that we'll be talking about the coming of Christ at Christmas, and then suddenly we'll be talking about the coming of Christ on the last day. And of course, in the middle of those is the way that Christ comes to us now in his word and sacraments. And so the, the season of Advent, it, it's more than pre-Christmas. And I think it's, it's a season that we need. Our world rushes us toward the celebration of Christmas. There have been Christmas decorations up all around us for quite some time. And that's not, not necessarily bad, but we, we want to approach Christmas and especially the coming of Christ at Christmas with repentance. And it's good for us to, to take some time to prepare our hearts to do that. And so I, I always appreciate the season of Advent for, for all those reasons. And the season of Advent is definitely a special season. It's a time to, it's one of the penitential seasons of the church. When you look in the LSB, you can look and see there are portions of the service which are taken out during Advent and Lent. It's not quite as penitential as Lent. If you look through the service again, there are more things taken out in Lent than Advent, but we don't make it such a joyous time. Think of our favorite Advent hymns. We're having Save the Nations come today. We have others. They're generally not the bright, jubilant hymns. They're more the somber, uh, longing hymns that make us yearn for the coming of Christ. Yeah, that, that longing and yearning for the coming of Christ is a, a very important facet of the season of Advent. And again, something I think that is is needed for us, because it, it helps us to remember that we are moving forward to something. As the saints in the Old Testament were waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promise and send the Savior, so we saints in the New Testament are waiting for the Lord to return, to raise us from our graves, to give us the fullness of eternal life in body and soul that we might dwell forever with him in the resurrection. And you know, as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, it's easy for us to, to not look for that and not long for that or yearn for that. We just kind of get caught up in the routine and, and we forget those words that we, we speak in the, in the Nicene Creed that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And again, I think that's an important emphasis for us as Christians that we wouldn't lose that longing and looking and yearning for the last day. And again, that's, that's something that the season of Advent is going to, to help us as, as Christians to do. Yeah, and, I, and shortly before uh, this show began, you had the family on praying the common table prayer. And what do we pray there? We pray, come Lord Jesus. And that's more than just inviting him to be at the table. It's also inviting him to come again. It's looking forward to his second coming. It's a way to live an eschatological life as we live out our faith and as we live our day-to-day -day lives. Now, you used a word, Pastor Yonkers, that I'm going to ask you to define just to make sure we're all on the same page. What, is, what does the word eschatological mean? Looking forward to the second coming of Christ, looking forward to the, the final coming of Christ. As he said, when he departed, as we've been talking about, when he will come back to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creed. Mm, that's right. So eschatological has to do with the end times, looking forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And I appreciate you bringing up that common table prayer that many of us say around our meal times, come Lord Jesus. And it's easy to 
rattle those words off so that we can get down to eating. But it is good that we would pause before we eat, not only to thank the Lord for the gifts that are set before us in that particular meal, but also, as you said, to keep in mind that one day we will be eating the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom that has no end. And so every time we sit down and pray, come Lord Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to remember that, yes, the Lord is coming and we long for that. We yearn for that. We want that to happen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, as the book of Revelation teaches us to pray. Every time we say a mealtime prayer is an opportunity to remember that. And the season of Advent, again, will focus us on that joyous expectation. Pastor Yonkers, we get to look at hymn number 332 in Lutheran Service Book today. But before we do that, do you have a, a favorite Advent hymn? It's probably this one, or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Okay, so Savior of the Nations Come or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's going to be a common question that I will be asking my guests is what is your favorite Advent hymn? And that is a question that I would ask you, dear listener. What is your favorite Advent hymn? I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know where you're listening and let us know what your Advent, your favorite Advent hymn is. Pastor Yonkers loves number 332, Savior of the Nations Come as well as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we get to look at the first of those. It is number 332 in Lutheran Service Book, Savior of the Nations Come. Pastor Yonkers, before we begin to look at the individual stanzas of this hymn, any thoughts or, or notes on the hymn as a whole, whether it's history or what it says? Why why is it your favorite? Just Maybe that's a good place to start since, since it is. Dr. Weinrich made us learn this in early church history and memorize the entire hymn. And so it kind of stuck in my head. But the story behind this is also beautiful. What, although it's debated whether it's fully factual, factual or more legend, that of St. Ambrose in the, in a church surrounded by Arians sent Romans to, to slaughter them. They sing this hymn and one by one, the soldiers come in and join them and are converted to the, true Catholic or Christian faith, believing in the two natures of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, the Arians were ones who believed that Jesus was a great prophet. He was a great man, but he was not God. He was not in of one essence, of one being, of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And so this hymn was written to counteract that, and it really expresses who Jesus is and who our Savior we look forward to coming is as we invite him to come and look forward to his coming. Uh, the fact that this comes during the midst of the Arian controversy in the early church does does it add something to several of the lines that St. Ambrose writes when he speaks about the fact that Jesus is truly God. I'm looking particularly at stanza three where, where Jesus is in the womb of Mary and, and Ambrose invites us to sing with him, God was there upon his throne, that that, that child who is in the womb of Mary is not just a human being, but he is also fully God, fully man and fully God at the same time. And so that the fact that this hymn comes during that controversy certainly adds to the richness of it. I, I really appreciate the fact that this is one of, I don't know if it's the oldest hymn in our, in our Lutheran service book, but it's one of the oldest. Ambrose of Milan, the dates that are given for him in the, the bottom of your, your page there on number 332 are from 340 to 397 AD. So this is a, a pretty ancient 
hymn writer. Ambrose of Milan was was one of the most famous ancient hymn writers, in fact. And this hymn is one that was, uh, from what I've under, from what I've read, this is one that we definitely know he wrote. There were a lot of hymns that got attributed to him that maybe he didn't write, but this is one we definitely know he wrote. I'm curious if did you have to memorize it in Latin, Pastor Yonkers? Mm, no, Latin was oh. only with Doctor Scare. <laughs> okay, okay, well. Yeah, they could have gotten extra credit maybe if you'd done that, I guess. I don't know. So, okay. So we got a fantastic hymn this morning, Savior of the Nations Come. What are we going to, just before we, again, look at the stanzas individually, what are we going to encounter in this hymn? What's this hymn all about? This hymn is about the looking forward to the coming of Christ and also singing about who he is, about his nature, where he came from, what he did for us. It's a very creedal hymn. And so we'll hear about our faith, what we believe, confess about Jesus, and we'll learn more of what we mean when we say, come Lord Jesus, and what we mean when we confess the creeds, especially the Nicene Creed in uh, as it relates to the Arian controversy, which was why this whole, th the Council of Nicaea and this whole hymn was written. All right, so we are looking at hymn number 332 in Lutheran Service Book this morning, Savior of the Nations Come, written by Ambrose of Milan. This is stanza one. Savior of the nations come, virgin son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. That's stanza one of the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. Pastor Yonkers, to get started, let's talk about that first line and the title of the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. To dig into those words for us. It, it, it relates back to that table prayer, Come Lord Jesus. Um, but as we do that, it's not just the Savior of us. It's not my Savior. It's the Savior of the whole world. Savior not just of the Jewish people or of one single nation, but as the Savior of all the nations, the one savior for the whole world. And so we look forward to his coming. And then as far as virgin, are we, we just want to focus on that part right now. Okay. Sure. Yeah, well, so. I appreciate you again, <laughs> reminding us of the prayer, come Lord Jesus, because this first line is a prayer. We are asking for Jesus, who is the savior of the nations to come. And again, connecting to the prayer, come Lord Jesus and here we are praying for the Savior of the nations to come. The name Jesus means Savior. The angel gave it to Joseph when he was finding out why Mary was pregnant. And, and the name Jesus is because he will save his people from their sins. And so Savior come, this is praying for Jesus to come. And as you said, it, it really is, is striking that we are praying for the savior of the nations to come. This one that we know comes from the line of Abraham and the line of David. He is not only for the people of Israel, but he is in fact the savior for all people. And so we all pray for him to come. And even, even just that, that prayer that he would come to us is a marvelous thing. And, and I suppose if we could spend a little bit of time on that word, Pastor Yonkers, because on the one hand, it could be a dangerous thing for us to ask God to come to us because, well, we're sinners and he's holy. And so, and I think this is one of the mysteries of, of Advent and the wonders of Advent is that we are able to ask God to come to us. And we do so with longing and joy because we know he comes as our savior and, and not only as, 
as a judge. And I, so I think it's, it's worth a little bit of time exploring. What does it mean that we're asking him to come? Why do we want him to come? You, you know, what you, as you were talking, I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer and what we pray there. We don't pray, dear sovereign God. We don't pray almighty, all powerful. We simply say our Father. And we're able to do that because our Savior has come, because Jesus has come, because, as we will see in the further stanzas, because he was crucified and he paid for our sins. He descended into hell and rose again. And those are, we'll see those in later on stanzas. But we're able to look, look forward to the coming of God because the Savior of the world has come the first time. And we look forward to being united with him in his kingdom, which has no end, where we'll live in eternal glory with him. And so that's what mm. we're singing about here as we sing, Savior of the Nations, come. Yeah, and the fact that he is willing to come is just such a wonderful thing. You know, he knows who we are as sinners. Yeah, he has every right to, to destroy us, to condemn us, and yet he does not. Nor does he stay far away from us, but rather he comes to us. And this is one of the wonderful comforts of Advent and of the season of Christmas that follows, is that God has actually come to us. He didn't stay far away, but his own son true God and true man. He joined our humanity to be our savior. And so we pray for him to come savior of the nations come. Then he is, he is named. We pray to him as the virgin's son. So virgin son, make here your home. What's the, how does that add to this prayer? It's asking Jesus to make his home here with us, to make his home here in our heart. And we can do that on account of our baptism, but it's also speaking of, making his home here on earth, his incarnation in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it speaks to that, and that's very profound. I mean, the almighty, all-powerful God becoming man, and it's starting to sing about that. We'll hear about that further on in the song again. But mm. what an amazing thing that the Lord would choose to become one of us and make his make his home among us. Think about the presence of God with the Israelites, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, which went with the Israelites in the wilderness and which resided with the, the Israelites in the temple and which we have a remnant of, uh, you know, a, a looking back of with our eternal light, which shines in mo most of our sanctuaries. Just a couple of weeks ago, I looked back and, pointed to it in the middle of my sermon, pointing to that eternal light on, on the last Sunday of the church year. Yeah, and this is a fantastic thing. The way you brought up the, the tabernacle and the temple and how the cloud would dwell over it, that's the sign that God dwells among us, that he has made a home among his people. Now he has made a home among his people as the virgin son, as the one who has joined our humanity. And again, we, I don't think we can ever get over the, the marveling and the amazement at this fact that God has become a human being. And he's done so. And I really appreciate the way you emphasized both things, that he's, he's made his home among us in the sense that he has become incarnate and he dwelt among us in this world. But he also makes his home with us in our churches and individually as well in, in the faith that is given to each one of us. He makes a home in each one of us. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And this is a, a matter of marveling and amazement. And that's where St. Ambrose continues. He says, marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. Any, any final thoughts on that last line of the hymn? 
Just think about the next season, Epiphany. Where did the wise men go to see Jesus? They went to the palace. That's where we'd expect to see the king. Yet he chose to come to us in the stable, in the manger, poor in spirit, reliant upon his creation for his upbringing and his care. What a humbling and what a loving act of Jesus that he would come to us in such a way. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we, we've already seen during the season of Advent in many congregations yesterday on that first Sunday in Advent. The gospel text was the account of Palm Sunday, where you see that the Lord would choose the humble things of this world. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And of course, that's just him following the pattern of his entire ministry, starting with his incarnation and his birth. And so we marvel at this, that God himself would choose to come among us with such a lowly birth as we know we're going to receive on Christmas in Bethlehem. So we then turn to stanza two, and St. Ambrose has set up many of the themes that he will explore already in his first stanza. This is stanza two. Not by human flesh and blood, by the spirit of our God was the word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. All right, so it's, it's kind of hard to take this one line by line, Pastor Yonkers. It kind of is one sentence. It, it's contrasting how the word of God made flesh. And he says it wasn't by human flesh and blood, but it was by the spirit of our God. What What's the importance of what we're singing in stanza two? Remember the context here of St. Ambrose uh, with, with the Orthodox Christians against the Arians, those who held to the two natures of Christ, fully God, fully man, versus those who believed that Christ was only a man. And we see that here because it was not by human flesh and blood, but the spirit of our God was the word of God made flesh. And we pr pronounce that in the creed as well, you know, uh, con conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so it speaks to that part of the creed as we sing this. And then the, the latter, the last part of it, uh, it will teach us also about his humanity, though he was fully God, he's also fully man. So it speaks to the two natures of Christ here. And we sing about that. And that's something which really sets Christianity apart, that God becomes man. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, becomes a part of his creation, becomes a created being, not giving up anything, remaining fully God, also becomes fully man so that he can die and suffer on Calvary, which we'll also sing about in this hymn as we go on. Yeah, the, the, the stanza, I think, really builds upon what we read in John chapter 1, which is an important reading during the season of Christmas. It usually is read on Christmas Day. And just a couple of, of verses from John chapter 1. The first verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when St. Ambrose writes here about the word of God, he's speaking about Jesus, whom John says later in that chapter in John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. These verses stand behind much of what is said in stanza two. And at the very end where we, we sing that he is a woman's offspring, pure and fresh, my mind goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, the offspring of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. I, I wonder if that's what St. Ambrose had in mind there. And, and, and it should take, 
go back to there because it is the offspring of Eve. You know, Eve's first thought when she had Cain uh, and Abel were, you know, I, the Savior's born. They expected it immediately. They've been waiting a long time for this since Adam and Eve, the first humans. They've been waiting for the coming of the Savior. And so we sing as we wait for the coming of the Savior. We sing about that. And it, it goes back to that as we wait for the birth of a human, uh, uh, of the offspring of a woman to come and be our Savior. All right. And so in stanza two, we are singing, He is here in the Word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. He is truly God and truly man. And now, as you mentioned, the hymn takes a very creedal tone. And beginning in stanza three, you really start to see the story of what Jesus has done for us. So let's go ahead and take a look at stanza three. Here a maid was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb, this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. That is stanza three of hymn number 332, Savior of the Nations Come. All right, so Pastor Yonkers, take us into to what we're confessing and singing in stanza three. This is all about the virgin birth, and it's pretty obvious when we look at the, the lyrics here. But here a maid was found with with child. Here a virgin was found to have a child. This Joseph struggled with this. He loved Mary. He wanted to be kind to her. And he was what was his plan? To divorce her quietly. But then the angel Gabriel came to him and said, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this verse is all about. That the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, as we confess in the creed, as we sing in the song, as I just mentioned in scripture, we are taught. That's right. Matthew chapter one, that the, the maid was found with child, but was a virgin that was unknown to Joseph until the angel revealed that to him in a dream. And that is an important part of what happens surrounding the birth of Jesus, that he is born of the Virgin Mary. This was foretold in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter seven speaks about the, the coming of Emmanuel, who will be born of a virgin. St. Matthew quotes that in his first chapter as a part of what's going on and being fulfilled there when the angel comes to Joseph to announce this birth of Jesus. And of course, we also know from St. Luke that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and gave birth to the Savior. And this has been now the second time that Ambrose has mentioned this in the hymn. In stanza one, we, we prayed to the Lord as the virgin's son, and now he, he makes plain the account of that happening here. Why is, why is this an important fact that Jesus was born of the virgin Mary? It, it, it says he was con conceived and born without sin. And that's what that's what the virgin birth speaks to us about. And also his conception by the Holy Spirit, it shows his divinity as well. But fo focusing mainly on he's born without original sin. We are all born and conceived sinful. We are born sinful and unclean. We confess that in our confession, general confession in the divine service. And here we sing about it in the hymn. As Jesus is born without that original sin, he was born as, as a fully man, but conceived without sin, which none of us on earth are, no one but Christ has been. 
Mm, that's right. So the virgin birth is uh, the reason that it is an important confession of the church. It shows up in the creed is because it does mean that Jesus was conceived without original sin, as you, you said. And I think it also goes to show when you look in the, the narratives, particularly in Luke 1, when the angel Gabriel announces this to Mary, that this is entirely God's doing. It goes all the way back again to Genesis chapter three, that he will send this offspring of the woman. And now he has done it in a way that no human being can take credit for. This is the Lord's doing and his doing all alone. If you thought it was uh, an impressive thing that God did when he gave a child to barren Sarai and her husband Abram, who were really, really old, the, and you knew that that was God doing it. How much more now do you know that this is God who is at work to bring the Savior into the world through the birth of his son of the Virgin Mary? That takes us to the middle of stanza three. We're going to pick up the other half of stanza three on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor James Yonkers this morning, looking at the hymn Savior of the Nations Come. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 28th. We are studying the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come, number 332 in Lutheran Service Book. Our guest today is Pastor James Yonkers. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Danville, Illinois. Pastor Yonkers, prior to the break, we left off in the middle of stanza three, which speaks about the virgin birth. A maid was found with child, but she remained a virgin mild. And then we sing in the second half, in her womb, this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. And again, in the context of the Arian controversy, that line seems pretty significant. What are, what are we saying that, that God was on his throne in the womb of the virgin? That, that it, it confesses that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the son of God. And he gave up none of that. When he became incarnate, he gave none of none of that. When he became man and tabernacled among us, as John says, he gave up none of that. He remained fully God and became also fully man. Don't ask me about the math. I'm not good at math, but he became fully both God and fully man as well. So this is this is something that we often speak about in catechesis. As a part of, we talk about Christ's humiliation, that as a man, he didn't always or fully 
use his divine ability. And so his, his incarnation is a part of that, that when you, you know, if, if there had been ultrasounds in 2000 years ago, and you had done an ultrasound on Mary, you would have seen a baby inside of her, just like you would see a baby inside of a, a mom today in an ultrasound. And yet when you were looking at the ultrasound of the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that, that baby, even though you, you couldn't tell it otherwise, that baby is God. And, and that, in, in his humiliation, it doesn't look like that. But this is the marvelous thing, that whenever you see Jesus, you are there seeing God. And so God is, is actually reigning as a king when he's in the womb of a virgin, which is just a remarkable thing to consider, that, that our king... He, he grew for nine months inside of his mother, just like we do. And, and this is, I think, one of the wonderful comforts. And this is maybe starting to, to bleed more into Christmas than it is into Advent, but that's okay. This is the wonderful comforts of the incarnation of our Lord and the seasons of Advent and Christmas is that you know, everything that we go through as human beings, Jesus went through, but he did so without sin. And so as the writer of Hebrews remind us, that means that, that Jesus is not a high priest who's far, far away, but he's one that can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And, and what a comfort it is to have a Savior who knows what it's like to be a human being, all the way to growing inside of his mother's womb for nine months. Even there, he's still king, and he's being king for the salvation of us sinners. It's such a, a marvelous comfort. And he shows himself in his mother's womb. You know, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, what does Jesus, what does John do? He leaps in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. And, and it's, it's a great joy to be with the Savior, even as he is gestating in his mother's womb. You know, I, I serve as a hospital chaplain. I have a background in hospital chaplaincy. And seeing that miracle of life at any age is amazing and miraculous because it is. But to see it in the young, in the unborn, in the prematurely born, it's such a special, glorious time, and it shows God's glory. But here Jesus comes in a very vulnerable way. He comes, he comes from the one who made the earth and is in charge over everything and willingly becomes one dependent upon his own creation, dependent upon the love of another dependent upon the nurturing of another for his sustenance as a human being here on this earth, as he's a, a baby in the womb of his mother. And the, the account of the visitation from Mary to Elizabeth, where John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth, is a fantastic example of, of someone who recognizes the kingship of the one inside of the womb of Mary, even when he's just barely started to grow inside of her, even there he reigns as king. We continue in the hymn with stanza four. Then stepped forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, God of God, yet fully man, his heroic course began. So, Pastor Yonkers, as, as I've always sung this hymn, you know, thinking of stanza three, speaking about the conception of our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, stanza four sounds a lot like the born of the Virgin Mary. So he is now born to begin his work of, of salvation among us. Take us into to stanza four. Let's take, take a look at it. Then step down the Lord of all, that we profess Jesus to be God, the creator, the the Lord of all, 
from his from his pure and kingly hall. That that's heaven. The Lord came down from heaven. He came from heaven to earth, and was incarnate. As we've been seeing, as a summarizing of that, God of God, yet fully man. That's something we talked about in the controversy with the Arians going on right now mm-hmm. at the time of Ambrose. That that's something an Arian can. I bump my mic. That's a conference that the Arians never could say that God became man. But that's that's why we boldly proclaim the councils, boldly proclaim the truth of Scripture, boldly proclaim our faith that God loved us so much that He would become one of us. Right. So the and, the line where it says God of God yet fully man. This is echoing the words of the Nicene Creed that we still speak today. And, and you're right, that's what the Arians couldn't say, that if if, God, if Jesus was fully God, then they, they wouldn't say he could be fully man. And if he's fully man, then he, he can't be fully God. That line right there is, is a clear confession in the face of the Arians. And so we're seeing here that, that the Lord of all, he left his riches in heaven in order to to join our humanity. And then I talk a little bit about that last phrase of this stanza, his heroic course began. What, I mean, that's just a, what a, what an awesome way to speak about the ministry of our Lord. What is, what is that? What are we singing in that last line? His heroic course began. He came to be our hero. He came to be our savior. He comes not riding on a horse dressed in armor to, to conquer but he comes as a humble savior. We mentioned earlier about Palm Sunday being the gospel for yesterday. He comes riding on a donkey, which we find, uh, you know, why on earth would he come on a donkey? During peace at that time, the king would ride a donkey because it's peaceful. He can't do harm. He can't ride into battle on a donkey. And so it's a sign of peace. Jesus came in peace, not in, in war on Palm Sunday. And he shows that. And we sing about this here as he as he takes on his throne. Well, that's the next verse. But here, his his the truth was shown in, in his love. His truth was shown that he comes to be our savior and not our judge at this time because he comes in such a humble and quiet way. Yeah, the the you know the word heroic uh, it brings to mind all kinds of superhero movies and things like that. What does it mean to be heroic? Well, Jesus truly shows us what her- heroism looks like. He truly is heroic, but not in the way that we might expect. His heroic course begins in a stable in Bethlehem when he's wrapped like any baby would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a a feeding trough for animals. And his heroic course leads him to to run away from a wicked king. And his heroic course leads him to to live in Nazareth and and be despised as a Nazarene. And his heroic course leads him to to live a life where he has no place to lay his head. And as you said, he, he rides in on a donkey and his heroic course leads him all the way to die on a cross. What what sort of hero is this? Well, this is the hero, the king that we need, the one who lays down his life for our sakes in our place to bear our sin, to be our savior, so that we might live under the blessing of God instead of the wrath of God. This heroic course of Jesus begins at his incarnation and his birth. And though it may not look heroic to human wisdom, 
this truly is godly wisdom at work to save us. Let's let's okay. continue with that thought. Or did you have more comments, Pastor Yonkers? I just want to f fly back to verse three, the end of verse three there, where he is upon his throne that speaks to this, ties into this verse very well. You know, we talk about Christ being our hero. Where is Christ's throne on earth? He's before Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world, but on earth where is his throne? His throne is at cross. His throne is on Calvary. N again, not where we expect it, not where we look for it. But there he is enthroned on high. There he serves the Lord, and there he conquers Satan. There he rides into battle, and there he wins for us eternal salvation and forgiveness. Now, these themes of course and throne all continue into stanza five. God the Father was his source. Back to God he ran his course. Into hell his road went down. Back then to his throne and crown. That stands a five of the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. Again, I, I think we see the creedal nature of this hymn, particularly in stanza five. Uh, take us into these words. All right, so God the Father was his source. You know, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Very creedal there, isn't it? So he comes from, he is of God and comes from God. And then back to God. To God he ran his course, was his course to be born of the Virgin Mary, to suffer under Pontius Pilate, and, and, to and to die and be buried. And then it mentions his descent into hell, and to hell his road went down. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises at Easter, and he lives on this earth for 40 days before his ascension, when he goes back to his throne and his crown on high in heaven. Yeah, the, the fact that God the Father was his source and back to God he ran his course is reminiscent of the way that Jesus speaks throughout the Gospel of John, that he comes from his Father and he goes back to his Father. He, he speaks regularly in John's Gospel in that way. And you really do get the, the full sense of Jesus' ministry all in, in four short lines. That's one of the, the wonderful things about hymnody is that just in one stanza, you can confess the pretty much the entirety of the of the Gospels. This is what we get here in stanza five, the work of Jesus all the way. And again, we've, we've already spoken at length about his incarnation and birth and now his his ministry, his death, his descent into hell, his resurrection and all the way to his ascension. That's the, the scope of this hymn. And once again, what a marvelous thing in, in the Advent hymnody of the church that we see that this isn't only what our Lord has done for us at Christmas, but extends into all of the work that our Lord has done, including the work that he continues to do among us still today. And, and I, I would just briefly mention that at the very end, this back then to his throne and crown, and I, I think of the reference to Christ's ascension, we, we dare not forget Christ's ascension. Sometimes we, we very easily say, Jesus died and rose for me. Well, let's, let's make sure we get to his ascension as well, because the fact that he reigns as king is such an important part of our confession of faith. And he will come again to judge both the living and the dead. Yes. That's right. That's right. And so we, we see how Ambrose's hymn is, is inviting us to think through and confess all these Advent themes, not only about the first coming of our Lord at Christmas, but also his coming to us now in word and sacrament, and especially his coming on the last day. Let's turn now to stanza six of the hymn. For you are the Father's Son, who in flesh the victory won. By your mighty power make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. That is stanza six of the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. Now, it, 
it strikes me that in this stanza, we return to the second person language that we encountered in the first stanza. So the second person would be speaking to Jesus as you, right? In the first stanza, it was virgin son make here your home. And then in the following stanzas, we've been doing a lot of confession. We're, we're speaking about what Jesus has done. So for example, in stanza five, it's in the third person, God, the father was his source. But now here we are back in stanza six with a prayer and speaking to Jesus for you are the father's son. Uh, take us into this stanza. Well, I, I think it, 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 with all that you just mentioned, it, it brings to mind the fact that we are so close to God. We are God's children because of what Christ has done. So we don't need to speak of a far off God, but we can address him in a familiar way. For you are the, the Father's son. And we know who that you is. It's Jesus. It's who we've been singing about. And then who in flesh the victory won. What He won victory as he went, as his, he ran his course, as into hell his road went down, as there he won his victory. And so there his victory is won. And then as we go on, you're, uh, I'm, I'm, we're on six. Okay. Yeah, we're <laughs> on six. So the, well, no, let me, let me jump in real quick, Pastor Youngers, because mm -hmm. one thing you said, I think really clarified something that I was trying to say and maybe even and brought it out better that, you know, for you are the father's son, we can speak to him in that way because he's not a far off savior. And that's true even now in his ascension. When, when Jesus ascended, when he went back then to his throne and crown, that doesn't mean he left us. In fact, it means he's with us even a, in an even better way, such that we can continue to pray to him in confidence as the one who won our victory in his flesh. He still bears those scars, the ones that he showed to Thomas after his resurrection to identify himself as the savior. And so we pray to him. And then that, that last part of stanza six really is that prayer we ask, by your mighty power, make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. Talk about that, that prayer in the second part of stanza six. Jesus is the great physician of both, both body and soul. He is our creator and our maker and our sustainer. So we can look to him for all of our daily bread, all of our earthly needs. That That's the uh, our, our needs of flesh, of flesh being that of the body and of soul. Well, Here's what he did. We've been singing about what he has done for our soul, but it's not just for our soul, but it's for all of his creation. After all, this is the word, the sarks made flesh, and, or the logos made sarks, the word made flesh. And so as we sing this, we look to God as the one who is in control, the one who grants us all good things, the one who sustains us and the one who provides for all of our needs and heals all our ills of flesh or body and soul and or spirit in this world and the next. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So here again, in this prayer, when we ask our Lord Jesus Christ to make us whole in body and soul, we are thinking certainly about earthly healing. And when we pray, whether in the prayers of the church or privately at home for our loved ones who are sick and ill, this is what we're doing. We're, we're praying just like stanza six of the hymn, but also we're recognizing that the fullness of this healing 
in body and soul comes on the last day when Christ returns and raises us from our graves and gives us the fullness of eternal life. And so again, we see how this hymn is pointing us forward to that coming of our Lord Jesus Christ on the last day, to long for that, to look for that, to, to ask him to come to us now with healing and also to come to us on the last day with the fullness of healing for our bodies and our souls. And we can pray to him in that way because he is the one who has won the victory already in our flesh by what he did in stanzas three through five, that forms the basis of our prayer in stanza six. Now that the hymn continues then into stanza seven from the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night darkness. There no more resides in this light. Faith now abides. That stanza seven of Savior of the Nations Come. So we're we're thinking about the manger here, some Christmas imagery. Pastor Yonkers, tell us about stanza seven. Well, Jesus is the light of the world, John says. And we, so we speak here in that language as he is the newborn light. He is newly born in that in the manger in Bethlehem. And so he has now come. We've been praying, Savior of the Nations come. He has come. We've sung about what he's done. And what, he, and what he will do in the second coming. And now we're singing about uh, on Christmas at his very birth, you know, from the newborn light, his birth in Bethlehem uh, shines a glory through the night, not just the night of Christmas or Christmas Eve as we celebrate, but also the night being that of the darkness of the world, the sinfulness of the world, his light shining forth into all the world. And, and we see, still see that today as the gospel is preached and proclaimed. Darkness there no more resides. We not, now do not live in a dark, sinful world. We now live in a, a world of light redeemed by Christ through his suffering on Calvary, through his journey, through his uh, in, incarnation, which we've been singing about through these six stanzas. And then... In this light, faith now abides. We abide in Christ Jesus, who is the light of the world. We abide and live in Christ Jesus. He's the fountain and the source of all things. I hear a lot of echoes again of John chapter 1, particularly verse 5. Well, verses 4 and 5 of, of John chapter 1, again, often read on Christmas. In him that is in the word of God, Jesus in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all of this that Christ has done for us is light in this dark world, a light that darkness cannot overcome. And I really appreciate you connecting it to the preaching of the gospel. You know, the hymn says, and then this is great poetry, and great imagery from the manger newborn light shines in glory through the night well if you were able to find that manger in which jesus was laid i imagine someone somewhere claims to have it if you were to find that manger the christ child's not there anymore and so there's not going to be any light shining from that you know that feeding trough anymore what made light shine from the manger was the fact that's where Christ was. That's where God had come to be among his people. So where does light shine among us today? 
it's wherever Christ has promised to be, wherever he comes. There's that Advent word again. And so for us, the light shines not in not in a manger or in a box or, or from a nativity scene, although it's, it's wonderful to set up nativity scenes as a reminder of all that Christ has done. But for us, the, the place we go to find this light that shatters the darkness is, as you said, the preaching of the gospel. Wherever Christ is present in his word and in his sacraments, that's where the light shines. And that's where we go to find refuge in, in the darkness that's around us. And that's another uh, theme of Advent is the darkness being broken by the great light. And this verse sings to that, the darkness of this world, the darkness of our sin being broken by the light of Christ, the light of this world. And we're singing about that very clearly here in stanza seven. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it is in this light that our faith now abides. Again, there's some language from the gospel of John. This is the way Jesus speaks to his disciples. He calls them to abide in his word, to live in his word. And it is in that light that faith abides because we look around us and we see the darkness. We see the darkness of our own sin and we see the, the darkness of the world that attacks the things of God. And, and it's easy to be lost in that darkness. But faith lives in the light because there we, we see that the darkness will not win. The darkness did not win because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done by his victory in the flesh. And so the darkness cannot win. And our faith lives in those words of Jesus where there is true light. And we hold on to that light as we await the final coming of the light, the final dawning of the light when our Lord returns again in glory. With all these marvelous themes, it's no wonder that St. Ambrose closes then with a doxology. This is stanza eight. Glory to the Father sing, glory to the Son our King. Glory to the Spirit be now and through eternity. Take us into that last stanza, Pastor Yonkers. As you said, it's the doxology. We, if you look at it in the hymnal, it has the triangle. It means we're supposed to stand for this verse, stand for the, for the doxology, stand for the Trinitarian verse where we sing about the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, we, and we, you know, there's one God and three persons, and we, there's a distinction here. We sing to the Father, you know, glory to the Father, sing. Glory be to Christ, we define him as king. And that's what, you know, he fought the battle. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. He won for us our salvation. So he's king of this world. Besides, he was already king because he was our creator and the maker of all things. And then we also sing the spirit. We don't really speak of who he is a lot. Uh, we, we just sing glory to the spirit be. But there, the Spirit is a quiet person the Trinity. You know, he, we, the Spirit works and moves and sh always reflects Christ. The Spirit guides and leads us to Christ. And so we, the Spirit works in, in, in a unique and special way, which is reflected here. And we pray that the Trinity is with us and the Trinity it will be with us now and through eternity. Now, of course, it's the promise of God. There's no doubt he will. We still pray for that, and we still are thankful for that. We look forward to that coming, especially as if the soldiers, as 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 the Christians surrounded by the soldiers in the church in Milan with St. Ambrose singing this song, looking forward and putting their whole trust in God above anything else in this world. 
Pastor James Yonkers is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Danville, Illinois, helping us today looking at the hymn Savior of the Nations Come, number 332 in Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Yonkers, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. What a marvelous hymn. The Savior of the Nations has come. Jesus Christ, he has come to you and me. He has made his home with us to be our Savior. What a great Advent hymn. If you have a favorite Advent hymn, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org to let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn is. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.